The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Pastoralia on member-supported Restoration Radio. I am your host, Alexander Krasik, and I am joined by our guest, Father Stephen McKenna of St. Gertrude the Great in Westchester, Ohio. Welcome to the show, Father. Thank you, Alex. So today we're going to be discussing various practical consequences that we have to deal with as a result of the pandemic, and as we'll see, it's, it's more than just a virus. So, Father, it, it's been a really crazy year and as i was saying you know it's we have this virus we have to deal with but it's been a a lot more than that we've had riots in the streets and in cities being burnt and whatnot so it really seems like there's more to this than just oh people are going to get sick people are going to die there's seems to be a real agenda behind everything that's happening and i think there's a famous quote or, or something, a reference that, you know, never waste a crisis. And that certainly seems to be what's happening. So with everything that's going on, how should we approach things? Are we just supposed to, you know, just kind of sit and live our lives, put on our masks? Or is this really a line in the sand that something is deeply wrong going on and that we need to be more active in, in fighting against what's going on? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really important and, and good point that... It is not just about a virus. Uh, in fact, I, I really honestly believe if we focus on the virus too much, then we miss the bigger picture, which is the more important aspect, which is this is an entire redoing of society as we know it, especially Western society and 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 most specifically that of... Um, of the United States, in particular, to be uh, to, to truly be that way, but everybody is is suffering through this because it is a societal change that is leading towards uh, towards globalism. Now, you know, I'm I, I'm fully aware that you start mentioning words like globalism and world elites and and things like that, and then some people's brains immediately switch off and say, well, now we're into conspiracy world. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I don't, you know, just give me the sort of the, uh, to the dragnet, you know, mode, just the facts, ma'am. Uh, you know, and that's, and, and I, and I understand that, you know, because sometimes we, we, you know, some of those conspiracies that are out there that, that really can get odd and, and you can end up off in the weeds somewhere. However, this one, you know, there's, it goes beyond just the realm of speculation in this one. It, it's clear, I think, to the common man that, you know, whether you think it is the idea of the coronavirus, the, the COVID-19, um, is because, is part of, like, the, the plan, or whether mm-hmm. you believe it has happened and so, therefore, like you said, not letting the, the crisis go to waste, I think all of us can see, regardless of which way we view that, that 
the abuses from those in power and the, the the agenda that you know that is furthering has been something contrary to just simply the health and well-being of the people that's i think something that shines through to almost everybody out there so what do we have to understand in that uh, you know I, I think understanding that that is not an accidental seizing but a true goal and a true primary purpose helps us to understand the practicalia of how to approach these things, how to 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 live our lives. So if I may, you know, I just want to kind of like briefly go through just one aspect of a timeline. And mm-hmm. these things are, are are easily checkable. These things are easily verifiable. Um and uh, to to be reality, but the the timeline and the understanding of the powers that some of the major players in this to show what that that layout would have been in the year two thousand and fourteen. It was the first time that we, the populace, the public, began to hear the rumblings of this terminology, the Great Reset. Now, you have to be right. sort of tuned into the, you know, the major players to have heard that. But those that look skeptically upon the elites of the world, things like the World Economic Forum, the WEF, uh, thing, you know, groups like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and, and whatnot, you know, these powerful elites, you know, the World Economic mm-hmm. Forum gathers together every year in Davos, Switzerland, um, and its world leaders and its uh, billionaires and its really majorly influential people that all get together and uh, and these upper echelon um, people get together, open public meeting, and they discuss what they need to do, most especially from an economic standpoint, but also from a societal standpoint to push what they see is best for the world moving forward. So starting in 2014 is the first time that they started talking about a global reset, the things going on in the economic market, the things going on in society, the, um, you know, the waves of nationalism and things moving through uh, was moving in what they believed the wrong direction um, because they themselves believe that it should be more of a, a global idea rather than an individual nation idea to create this kind of, you know, um, you know, better world. And so they'd start talking about a great reset that they, something drastic needs to happen in order for them to change society in a fundamental way. So that no longer operates in the way that we've become accustomed to the way of life that we have. And so that's when we in the population, well, that's when they started publicly, talking about this, that it was no longer hidden, that they that they were looking for ways to create this reset and to go about doing these things. Um, you know, so and for for your information, just like some of the, the names that you see that are members, and again, open, it's not a secret thing. It's not like, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about Illuminati and like this, like these secret, you know, evildoers behind the curtain and you can't actually know if they exist or something like that. These people are open and proud about it. They have their own websites. They have their own, you know, the world economic forum has its own website. It talks about very openly what it does um, because they believe it to be truly a good thing. And so the people that are members of this, just a couple of things off the top to kind of list out 
you talked about George Soros, so the the you know sort of the evil puppet master that we learned about if at least this summer, if you haven't known about him from before. Uh, who pulls for all the left-wing agenda things um, and pays for these Antifa people and uh, whatever, these other projects. So George Soros is a a member of the World Economic Forum. Forum. Bill Gates is uh, a member. Prince Charles of England, uh, Al Gore, you know, those type of of people are the the members of the society. Um, So in 2004, they started talking about the world the Great Reset. Then we arrive, and, and up to that point, it was just sort of what, what you know. We need to look to figure out a way to do this. We arrive in 2019, and with some of these players in the World Economic Forum, they begin to give money to Wuhan, China. Um, <laughs> another person that gave to this same laboratory. So it's two a specific laboratory in Wuhan, the laboratory that is now famous. Um, it, um, you know, in addition to that, Anthony Fauci, who runs the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious mm-hmm. Disease and is also the talking head of the government on, on coronavirus, he ensured that the National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Disease gave $3.7 million dollars to that laboratory in Wuhan in 2019 is the second donation from Fauci and his institution. They gave, I believe, a four or five year grant um, before, or a three year grant before that for the same amount. And then in 2019, they doubled it up again, $3.7 million for the specific purpose of doing research on bat based coronaviruses. So, so, uh, so that happened in at the at the beginning of 2019. Along with that, were other organizations that gave money for the same purposes, um, you know, and some of those members being part of that same World Economic Forum. Then, starting on October 18th of the same year, so 2019, mm-hmm. the World World Economic Forum joined up with Johns Hopkins Center for Health and Services and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And the three of them together ran what they called Event 201. Now, this was to be a simulation and an exercise about what to do in the situation of a crisis. The crisis which they chose for this October 18th uh, run thing would be that there would be a coronavirus which originated in bats but had mutated to be able to affect human beings, which escapes or is released from a Chinese laboratory and spreads worldwide, becoming a global pandemic. During the exercise, they play out all the scenarios of what they need to do as those who are in charge to be able to manage the situation. Um, This includes putting businesses shut down under lockdown, putting society shut down under lockdown, quarantining people, um, implementing societal changes in the name of safety, controlling the media, censoring the media, ensuring that that only their narrative was being put out, and censoring social media, that uh, diverging opinions on the crisis could not be let out even through the means of of, of social media, that they'd always be discredited or silenced 
Um, same thing with that only those in charge of managing the, the crisis would be able to put out the information on the crises. Now, this is important, other than just kind of the obvious scary <laughs> out there in your face aspect of it. This is important for two things. One mm-hmm. is that it's important to note that this idea, which became you know, you know, what we're continuing to go through now, this idea is an idea that has no basis in history. So, you know, the, there are, I believe, something like, I think there are seven different types of coronavirus out there in the, in the world that, you know, and up until this point, any kind of coronavirus has just been assimilated with cold or flu, right? That's the way mm-hmm. yeah. that is just a variant of flu or cold. And that is how the hospitals have, have dealt with them. Never in the history of, of humanity has the a coronavirus become anywhere close to a pandemic, you know, something that is affecting all of humanity in a way that is like going to cause huge swaths of death. So the very idea for the, for running a event 201, you know, there wasn't like an imminent threat of this that we needed to address. It was something that they, that they just decided this is what we're going to do. <laughs> so, and then well. the second, so, and secondarily is that at the exact time, I don't mean like generally speaking, but in the exact days when this event 201 was being run was when the COVID-19 was released from the Wuhan lab. <laughs> wow. So, and if we remember from the beginning, it was originally blamed on bats, the, like the bats in the open market, it leaked into people's soup and then you'd contaminated them and they were able to, to get, you know, sick from the bats that they ate in their soup. And then they got coronavirus and then they started spreading it all over the world. You know, it's another important point to note that that is also false. Not only false because it's, it's ludicrous, but it, but it's false from a, from a genetic standpoint that they're, that because of the fact that they have profiled the entire genetic sequence of the coronavirus, uh, the COVID-19 virus, that is, that, that, that they know all of the genetic makeup to it. And the chemists and the biologists and, and the things that look at it, and, you know, honestly, know that there are multiple points in that coronavirus uh, genetic makeup that are impossible to take place in the wild. So, for instance, I'll just give one example of that. Mm-hmm. So, the those little spikes that stick out of the coronavirus—they're called, we you know, commonly referred to as spike proteins. It's actually what the vaccine is trying to make your body replicate. Um, the, these spike proteins, which and the job of those in the virus is to inject into your body the RNA of the virus to replicate in your own cells. Well, in those spikes, the, gen- the genes that make up the genetic sequence for the spike proteins are identical to those in all of the other coronaviruses that are known throughout the world, except for four spots where there are clear inserts into the, the genetic coding that are completely different from the coronavirus genetic sequencing. 
but the thing about them is they're not just different, but they're either identical or nearly identical, each one of them, to genetic sequencing inserts from the HIV virus, which statistically is impossible to happen randomly in, in, in nature. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a, like an unfathomable odds that, that to be a random uh, creation from nature is, is, uh, is considered uh, impossible. So, so that's just kind of a, that little bit of, of background into what led us to the, the quote-unquote crises that we are in now, that this thing is not just, you know, oh, we're just, a, you know, this is our turn to have a pandemic. You know, 100 years ago, we had a pandemic, and now we've got another one. No, this is something that, this is far more malicious and far more um, important to to understand as not being a natural thing, but something that was planned, executed, and prepared for for this very purpose, because it was the catalyst that they needed to begin this great reset. Uh, case in point, in January of 2020, was the World Economic Forum's annual meeting in Davos, Switzerland, that they had. And it was during then that they, you know, it hadn't even reached the United States yet. It really had uh, had not even gone out of really China yet. Um, you know, at, at this time I was, I was in Rome recording with, with Stephen for those, those first episodes, the, you know, those episodes that we heard throughout the, the year of 2020, um, you know, those were being recorded in Rome at that time. Um, in January, and they at the Economic Forum, uh, World Economic Forum meeting in, da- in Davos, Switzerland, in January, they were talking about then that this is the catalyst that they need to to implement the Great Reset. Um, it was only shortly thereafter, Klaus Schwab, who's the head of the entire World Economic Forum, came out and said the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect and reimagine and reset our world to create a healthier, more equitable, and more prosperous future. Um, so it was, you know, and, you know, and the, you know, there are other quotes about ex- essentially saying the same thing that you mentioned at the beginning. Don't let this go to waste, you know, use it, take advantage. This is your catalyst. Um, it was by March, I believe, it was either, like, I think something like March or April, this same man, Klaus Schwab, had written a book called The Great Reset, in which wow. he, he talks about how the coronavirus pandemic is the means to implementing The Great Reset. So not only did he write a book on it at the very beginning stages of the, of the crisis, but we also have to assume that he probably started writing it before any of us knew that it existed, because you don't just write a book have it edited, have it published, and everything like that in two months' time. So, um, you know, so, I mean, it's not a hidden reality. So all of that going together, essentially, so I know I've kind of been on a rant here for you, but the importance of understanding that reality is to, to understand 
that when we are looking at this situation that we're living in, it's not that I'm not saying that there is not the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus, COVID-19, you know, that that's not a reality. It, it is something that is out there. But just like the other seven coronaviruses are out there, this is essentially a flu. This is essentially a sickness that, um, that is not a pandemic. You know, we are seeing, you know, now a year into it, you know, that the, I mean, the survivability rates are what you would expect from something like a flu. You know, that if you're under the age of 30, it's almost, a, it's almost guaranteed that you will survive. If you're, you know, under the age of 50, it's 99.97% chance of survivability, essentially meaning that unless you have some sort of really severe illness, you're going to survive. Even if you're, you know, 85 years old, those chances of you surviving, if you don't have some sort of, you know, other major health issue complications, what they're calling comorbidities, things that would kill you independently themselves, given a little bit more time and things that would be set off by getting any kind of sickness, um, you know, it's virtually universal, that survivability, although you're a little bit more at risk at 85 years old, but you're at risk of anything at that point. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that the reality of it is, is that, you know, we're seeing exactly what we would expect to see at any kind of cold and flu season. You know, I mean, when you look at the numbers for total death in the United States for the year 2020, because that's a number that the CDC actually publishes, it is right on par with 2016, 2018. And, you know, like we didn't have an ink. So when you see the rolling counter of death <clears throat> on CNN, every time you walk through, you know, the, the airport um, mm -hmm. and they have the TVs just playing silently there and you see that rolling counter of coronavirus death, well, you know, it's, you know, those aren't like, we would have lost this many people, but we're also adding to it 300,000 other people or, or mm -hmm. whatever, because that's not the case. These people would have most likely died anyways, because we haven't gained additional death for the year. So it's, uh, you know, so, so when we start to understand all of those realities, then we have to start looking at these things you know, through that, through that glass, you know, what are the purposes of the masks and the lockdowns and not being able to see your grandparents and social distancing, the changes of society, and ultimately the vaccine and everything like that? Well, it's not for altruistic purposes of, of maintaining health and well-being. It's for the purposes of furthering along this, this agenda. So, um, you know, I don't don't know what the is that the original is that the original question. <laughs> I think uh, somewhere, is, somewhere. I mean, yeah, that, that gets to the point of, of what I asked. You know, and it's like you know, I, I think about twenty twenty, and it's like this thing was used as a weapon. You know, at first, okay, we have to lock down, we have to do all this, and then the Black Lives Matter stuff happens, and all mm -hmm. of a sudden, the it's okay to go out and gather among all these people. You know, it's okay to do that. So that took a back seat as a supposed agenda is being put forth. Right. But then when it rolls over, then that kind of dies down, you know, oh, coronavirus, coronavirus. And then, and then Trump wants to do the same thing for his rallies. 
oh, these are super spreader events. We can't have right. these. So yep. it, it, it's very much wielded as a weapon. It comes up yeah. and down. It's important. Because each one of them, each one of the things is seen through the glass of, does it further our reset or does it hinder the reset? So, you know, does you working and being able to maintain small business further or, or hinder the reset? Well, it hinders it because they need to eliminate small businesses. They need to create a dependency on the government uh, in order to, to further that, that end. Does Black Lives Matter hinder or further the global reset? Well, it, it furthers it because of the fact that it creates great upset in the world and it creates this idea of, of um, racial disparity that really is extraordinarily minimal in society today to a sense that, you know, not that it doesn't completely exist, but from an effectual sense, it, it, it essentially does. Uh, it creates this idea of, then you know, again, you know, the, the small businesses that are being burnt to the ground, they don't matter. They, they're not allowed to, to stand up and defend their property, you know, defend against these rioters. The police aren't going to help them. The, the, you know, nobody's coming to help them. And the rioters can loot and burn anything they want to to the ground, take all the stuff, etc. And that's just going to have to be okay. And in fact, you saw the politicians urging them on, you know, egging them on yeah, for, yeah. for that, for that end. Um, you know, then uh, taking a knee to the mob, you know, kneeling down to the mobs of people. Then you come, you know, like you said, Trump rallies, super spreaders, you know, riots in the street, not super spreaders. Trump rallies are super spreaders. Um, you know, you see the idea of protests about lockdowns. Those are super spreaders. Christmas was a super spreader. I mean, you don't go visit your family on Christmas because you are going, like, we're going to see numbers explode if people dare go see their family or go to church or do see, you know, go out to eat with their friends. But meanwhile, then you know, and again, you know that these politicians, they don't believe it because yeah. they go and violate their laws blatantly again and again and again. You know, you're not allowed to go out to dinner. And if and we're locking down your restaurants because this is going to be you know such a health crisis, you know, and you got to wear a mask. But then you see the governor of California out there, no mask. You know, twenty of his friends all having dinner together, all at the same table at you know some fancy French restaurant that most people can't afford to even go to. You know, no yeah. apology. You know, Pelosi gets caught having, you know, you, you can't get your hair cut. We're shutting down salons. But Pelosi goes into a closed salon with no masking, no social distancing, gets her hair cut. And she, she's bold enough to not only not apologize for it, but to blame the person who brought it to the attention of other people. Like, you know, that she, you know, she, she actually apologized like for, for as she put it being caught in a trap you know that so it's it's like what i mean you know and then now we see it now with this this thing with the capitol building you know mm -hmm. you know politicians were openly urging encouraging violence in the streets and insurrection all throughout the summertime now we see with this capitol building that a small amount of people go into the capitol building that 
from all apparent purposes were urged on by by play actors, people hired on, whether they be Antifa or just general hire-ons to to rile up the crowd. And because Trump gave a speech beforehand giving some level of credence to their gathering, then therefore he's impeached for insurrection. You know, and then so it's you know, it's all in the, this world of make-believe. What furthers the agenda, what doesn't? And uh, and it's only through that that lens that we can really start to make sense of the of the whole picture. And so, when you start to realize that it's the same people telling you the importance of wearing masks, that it's the same people and telling you the importance of staying socially distant, of closing down your business, of not allowing people to visit other people in hospitals, of uh, of telling you that it's the morally obligatory and responsible thing to get a vaccine that we've created, <laughs> then you you have to look at those things with a truly, truly skeptical eye and understand that none of these things is coming from uh, an altruistic point of view. They don't care about your health. They don't care about your well-being. They don't care about your business. They don't care about... Your family, they care about themselves, their power, and the the agenda that they that they are driving forward. So don't begin to to make the mistake to think that they actually care about you. They do not. So then we're going to talk about the spiritual side of things in our next episode. But from a and obviously you know that would include prayer and whatnot. But from a practical standpoint, what can we do against this sort of thing? Well, I think, yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, I think the most glaring question right now, right, is what to do about the vaccine. Mm -hmm. You know, that seems to be the thing on everybody's top shelf now because it has been released. Um, You know, multiple agencies have, multiple pharmaceutical companies have developed and released the vaccine. Mm -hmm. So... You know, what What are we to do with that? You know, if we're viewing this, I won't get too deep into the the things behind, like the, the make up the vaccine, because uh, as we talked about, this is kind of a series of, of, of episodes where, you know, Dr. Dan Stanislavski and myself recorded the sort of the science behind the new COVID vaccine, um, you know, the mRNA uh, technology and mRNA vaccine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm not going to get off into, into that, that world because, you know, you should, you should really listen to that episode uh, on it um, to, to understand that aspect of it. But in doing so, if you haven't already, please do listen to it. Um, it's very informative. But in understanding those aspects that, you know, this is a totally new technology that is not traditional medication or or vaccine in the traditional sense, that it is a, a, an implementation of synthesized RNA into your body to go into your own cells in order to change the function of those cells from doing what they, what they do, if they're muscle cells, you know, operating the, the function of your limbs and whatever, take those individual cells that are infected and have them switch to now performing the operation of creating those spike proteins that are on the outside of the coronavirus so that 
your body will create T cells to recognize them and also create antibodies. And so that theoretically in the future, you can make these antibodies more readily and more quickly to fight off uh, infection and things like that. But the issue is, is that this thing is, is fraught with danger and really should be rejected by, by anybody out there who wants to act prudently um, because it really is a you know potentially harmful and dangerous thing. First off, being that it is brand new. We've never used this technology for vaccines on human beings before. You know, you'll hear that it all has existed for 10 years. It has, but essentially it's existed in a laboratory setting that we have been able to replicate the, you know, synthesize, um, you know, genetic codes and, and to create that genetic material um, synthetically. Yes, yes, we can do that. And it does explain for why there is some of the rapidity as to why it was able to be manufactured and, and produced so quickly. Because, yes, you are able to do that much, much more quickly than you would be able to, you know, build cultures and grow, you know, the necessary amount of viral material to, to be able to produce vaccines for, you know, large swaths of people and to, and to begin testing them and everything like that. However... You know, we have to understand that they are being so new and, you know, not used on people. And this being like the real trial run comes with a lot of inherent risks to it. Um, Risks, some of which have been identified and and some of which have not been, you know, the ones that have been identified, you know, the, the risks of autoimmune disease creating um, that by your by your body creating these antibodies, it could fight against something that's also in your body that is um, a, you know part of your normal genetic makeup. Um, you know, one of the, the important things to note with that was that you know two of the former executives uh, of Pfizer, you know, they're you know. Obviously, there is reason why they're former executives of Pfizer, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know the, they've they've blown the whistle on the fact that they believe that there's a real inherent risk that the protein sequencing for those 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 um, spike proteins is sufficiently close to aspects of the development of, of the of to certain proteins for the development of the placenta in females, meaning that that there is a real and inherent risk of creating an autoimmune disease in some women, which will render them sterile because wow. of an incapability to produce these proteins necessary for placenta in order to be able to have children, to have those, those children, you know, be able to survive in the womb. And, you know, that's not to say that it would happen to every woman. I don't think anybody thinks that. Mm-hmm. But it's like any autoimmune disease. It's to say that it could happen to some because there is this real and apparent danger that exists there that we have no evidence to say that it won't happen. Um, you know, another is what happens if those mRNA uh, molecules injected into you hijack a different 
cell, different type of cell. So they put it into your arms, right? Like that's what we see everybody getting injected in the arm. Right. And the idea behind that is, is that, you know, that those mRNA proteins that they're going to go, they're going to um, inject themselves into your arm muscle tissue, which there's, you know, relatively small risk of anything bad happening from, from, from that. You know, you have plenty of muscle tissue in your arm, but the handful, you know, for the small amounts that would be injected and kind of, you know, taken over to pr- produce these, these spike proteins, um, you know, that, that the real risk to your health would, you know, be, be unnoticeable essentially. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but some of it would get into your bloodstream and some of it would go carry throughout your rest of your body. There's no way to prevent that from happening. It's a reality that happens with it. You know, any vaccine that takes place, which also means though, that when those things travel, where do they, where do they begin to work elsewhere? Could they work into the muscle tissue in your leg? Yes. But could they also take over muscle tissue in your heart? Yes, they could. And therein lies the problem. Could it create cardiac problems for you down the line in the future? Yes, it could. Could it take over neuron cells in your brain? Yes, it could. Like there's nothing preventing it from doing so. It's the same technology as taking over those cell muscles in your arm. So it could develop neurological disorders. That's entirely possible and probable because we've seen already cases of Bell's palsy uh, and uh, Guillain-Barre and things like that coming from the people that were in the trial studies for the the, the vaccines. Um, but again, the push was to, to rush these things through. And so those things were just sort of swept aside, bypassed, declared to be, you know, not an inherent, you know, overall risk, but it's, you know, how many people do you need to have their faces paralyzed or to have, you know, serious neurological diseases and problems develop before you say, well, wait a second, you know, if this is happening in some of the ones in the tests, it's going to happen in much larger numbers yeah. in, the, in the population, um, you know, and that's, so that's, a you know, again, an inherent risk to these things. Um, there's also the inherent risk of, of allergies produced by some of the, the adjuvants in there. You know, I think propylene glycol is the, the most obvious one where people have had allergic reactions that have uh, even resulted in serious health problems and potentially even death. I mean, all of these different things and, and more that are out there, then you add it to the unknowns. And the unknowns being that this is just short-term effects. We have no idea because there's no long-term testing about what long-term potential effects exist uh, regarding the vaccine. And so, um, you know, so from a purely health standpoint, it's very imprudent to receive this vaccine, especially when you know the statistics, like we talked about earlier, about mm-hmm. the survivability, that this, that the in reality, despite what the news wants to do and trying to scare you to think that, you know, you get COVID-19, you're probably going to die. No, you have COVID-19 and it'd be extraordinary if you did die. In fact, you're probably just going to be sick with flu-like symptoms, you know, and, or you could be, you know, even more mildly affected or whatever. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. Like most people, provided that they don't have major health complications already to begin with, are going to be perfectly fine. 
So, you know, when you're talking about your chances of recovery, you know, I'm 35 years old. My, mm-hmm. I have no major pre-existing conditions. So my chances of recovering, if I were to contract coronavirus today, is something like 99.997% or something like obscene like that. So like if there's nothing in this world that I wouldn't do if that was the success ratio of, of, <laughs> of doing that. I mean, I mean, this, I mean, th- th- if you think about that, like, you know, you probably have a lower success ratio of dying in a parachute accident than you would of dying of coronavirus. And, you know, but that's not what you're being made to hear, to think about, you know, you probably have a greater risk of drowning uh, if you were swimming tomorrow than you would of dying of coronavirus. And so it's, you know, it's, you know, we really, when we start thinking about the things that we commonly do every day, drive a car, fly in a plane, you know, eat out at a, a restaurant and not get food poisoning, uh, you know, walk across the street to get the mail and not get hit by a car. I mean, like we do stuff every day that we have a greater chance of dying from than we do of contracting coronavirus, developing problems, and then dying that day. And so, you know, like, so when that becomes apparent and and there's these other inherent risks, we really have to be, you know, we have to use the prudence that God has given us and say, no, this is not a prudent thing for me to do, to increase risks to my health and to my well-being in order to, to take this vaccine that they are telling me that I need to take, you know, especially because they're not even pretending to say that it prevents coronavirus or cures coronavirus because it doesn't do that. So, you know, case in point, you know, I mean, their own words will tell you that their own statements, their own public statements tell you that it is not a preventative or a cure for coronavirus. The only thing that they think that they can do is perhaps mitigate the level of effect that you get from the infection you know and so case in point Mm -hmm. just read yesterday an article came out and it was a french article and talked about that there was an 85 year old woman i think 89 or 85 year old woman from quebec she was literally the first person to be given the coronavirus vaccine in all of canada she Later on, recently, contracted COVID-19, <laughs> got <laughs> sick from it, and developed respiratory problems from it. So, I mean, she survived, which, hey, you know, good on you. You survived, you know, but, mm-hmm. you know, but she survived like 99.2% of other 85-year-old people who get coronavirus did. And, you know, so it's not... <laughs> You know, this is not a, what what level the effects are of it, plus the 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 harm that's potentially there, plus the fact that it's dealing with something that is a really essentially you know not something to be really worried about. This is you know prudence dictates that we should not undergo that. Now, you add to that the reality of what we talked about at the beginning of the show that it is truly part of a social reset this desire that we need you to get vaccinated 
because you're of evil the fact if you don't. Yeah, you're evil if you don't. We want your neighbors to shame you. We want the news to to tell you you're wicked. We want the businesses to prevent you from from uh, from operating. You know that you know that we want to make it hard for you to shop. We want to make it hard for you to travel. We want to make it hard for you to work to survive. All of these things because you dared to question what we have told you that is in your best interest, then we have to start realizing that this, we talk about lying in the sand. I, I don't, I can't think of a more clear line where we should fight. We should stand up and say, no, enough is enough. You know, mm-hmm. if I, if I, I'm morally opposed to socialism and open borders and uh, society, you know, modernistic societal restructuring and, you know, dependency upon government dole and uh, completely redoing of society for globalism purposes and the accruing of massive amounts of wealth for the elite of the elite. If I'm opposed to that being the end goal of all this, then I need to start standing up and saying, no, enough is enough. I'm not having it any longer. I'm going to fight. I'm going to stand up and say, you you know, at some point I should have a say in what Mm -hmm. happens to my own medical care and to my own life and to my own livelihood and all of these things and say, enough is enough. I'm standing up for what is right. This is right. That this complete takeover, I've had enough of it. I'm not doing it any longer. You know, there's, you know, I was, I was watching in all the information that's come my way while kind of preparing for these things. Somebody, somebody mm-hmm. sent me sent something with from, um, you know, this this group of doctors called America's Frontline Doctors, um, where they were given, you know, the, the one of their videos where they're outside the Congress building went viral because them uh-huh. you know uh, bringing up the idea of you know um of of commonly available drugs which do great work for preventing complications with covid 19 like like uh, hydrochloroquine and and things like that so these doctors you know they go around making a point to to really try to work on on to further the knowledge of these people mm-hmm. you know this a lot of them have been fired from their practices because they dare to to stand up and try to 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 tell the truth, you know? And so, so so we we have to look at that and say, you know, some people are trying to gain that platform and they're being fought against in every way, shape or form. You know, what type of influence can I do as an individual? Yeah. It's going to be probably smaller than what these medical doctors can do. And it's probably even going to be smaller than you and I talking on, on this radio program or, you know, me writing an article or, or, you know, things like that. It might be, you know, influencing, you know, a couple of people around me. It might mm-hmm. be just being one more cog in the wheel. The more cogs that wheel has, the more traction it gains, the more, the more good that can be done. And the more traction that gains, the more it becomes less absurd to stand up and fight for other people out there to stand up and fight. And so we kind of that doing your own part, realizing, no, this is, this is where we need to, to really, you know, like this, is, they're pushing it to a point where you're not going to be allowed to, to determine what kind of things are injected into your own body, what kind of chemicals and genetic and uh, manipulation goes on in your children's bodies, uh, what kind of 
you know, things that dictate whether or not you can work or travel or live your life as normal, you know, if we don't stand up now, then those, those things go out the window. And once we lose that, if they're allowed to say, nope, we're absolutely mandating that people get this vaccine, then that is a right that, and to oversee what type of medicine and what type of treatments and what type of things go on for us, that is a right we will never get back ever again. Yeah. Once they do it once, it can be done from thenceforward mm-hmm. for any reason. It's just, it's like, like they say with like legal stuff, it's precedent, you know, they can just yeah. go ahead yeah. and do it. All of these things that we're sick and tired of dealing with in society from COVID-19 stuff, the complete shutdown of businesses and you know everything like that it all started with two weeks to flatten the curve yeah let's just do it for two weeks we'll all bite the bullet it'll flatten the curve and we'll be okay we're here almost a year later and the same stuff is still precedent why because as soon as they got their foot in the door you never got those rights back ever again you may have at times had it loosened off and been able to do certain things and then having it tightened back up again, but it's never been given back to you. You can no longer consider it a right because it is now purely at the whim and fancy of the government, whether you can or can't do something. And so this is another thing. So there's, there's several ways we could go with this now. I, I think you, you alluded to it a little bit before with you know getting the word out to other people. Obviously, we, we've probably all encountered people that are completely sold on on all of this you know but when we talk to other people about this how can we approach it or even just you know maybe even we have to deal with family members who are just you know they're wearing the mask they got two masks on they got the face shield they got hand spray you know and, and here we come with no mask on and and what have you how, how can we deal with people like this and you know, obviously, we can't open everyone's eyes, but, you know, no. what, what's some advice that we can have for this? So, so I think, really, you know, it comes down to our own mentality a lot of times, th- realizing, um, you know, um, where, we, where we need to be in our minds. Um, so, first off, we're not going to convince everybody. You know, the lady with the two masks and the shield on, chances are her chance meeting with you on the street is not going to produce any change in her belief or thoughts or whatever. So kind of dismissing that aspect from her mind. Yes, there are good people out there who have watched too much TV or heard too many talking heads and have bought into this, you know, to certain extents of the law, you know, to what varying degree it may be. You know, it depends on the person, you know, but there are certain, there are people out there that are very good people that will ask honest questions. And I think that's the understanding, knowing the difference between what is an honest and earnest question and a good person who's looking just to do the right thing versus somebody who is already made up their mind and is not asking earnest questions. Don't waste your time trying to explain to somebody that is of the latter group, you know, mm-hmm. look for the opportunities that might arise from the, the former group. And also understand that even in those, in the former group, you might not see eye to eye on everything and that's okay. 
but if we kind of have an understanding and an openness and willingness to to talk and to be charitable and to be kind, but to have this open discussion about, you know, do you wear a mask when you go to the grocery store? No, I don't. Yeah, well, I do because I just don't, you know, I'm, you know, this reason or that reason. And like, you you might not see exactly eye to eye on the all of the, the minutia of it, but if we can all at least be, have a general understanding that something major is happening, that it's not for the good, that we do need to at points stand up. We do need to make sure that, you know, these things aren't ridiculous, made to be completely ridiculous or gone forever. We do need to be prayerful. We do need to do all of these things. Then that keeps that door open for good communication in, in those directions and kind of encouraging and furthering that on together and getting people to to be educated and to understand and and to work together um that's important you know as for like the real you know when it comes to family you know like i said it's the same thing if you see family members that are that are open to the idea of talking about it and, and wanting to work with you and to kind of like discuss ideas then great that's 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 fantastic if they're just they're completely sold one way and they think of you as the crazy guy that doesn't wear a mask well then don't waste your breath you know, because you're just going to frustrate yourself, get in arguments, create familial strains that strain that doesn't need to be there. And so that's, that's not worthwhile. Talk about the, the weather or a dog, you know, like the, mm-hmm. don't worry about, <laughs> you know, at that point. And, um, and then, you know, I think one of the things that I get asked about a lot is like, what do you do when, when people confront you mm-hmm. in public, yeah. you know, we, and I think that's kind of everybody's, you know, in some of these things, because you can't completely avoid it. Obviously it's based on threshold, but I think the idea of getting across to people, like don't be, don't be afraid to push your comfortability levels and your own thresholds because it is for the good. It might inspire the person next to you, somebody that sees it. It might be something that, that is another cog in the wheel of, of being the good fight for, um, not just letting it become normal everywhere amongst every person. And it also is good for your own mentality. You know, so, you know, kind of at the beginning of this, like this whole kind of, you know, like in the middle of the summertime and things, I think I talked with uh, Stephen Heiner on one of the behind the headlines. And I said, you know, I'm not going to die on mask hill, mm-hmm. meaning, um, you know, I'm not going to be, you know, like shut down my life and be shipped off to the gulag because I refuse to wear a mask, right. uh, you know, however, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean I'm going to willingly wear a mask when I know I can't avoid it. So for me, mm-hmm. that essentially is basically flying on an airplane, you know, yeah. I, or going to a hospital if we're allowed into a hospital to visit somebody sick, which is unfortunately very rare these days. Um, you know, then in those situations, like I know I can't avoid it. So I, I wear it. But any other thing, just because I'm going to a store, I'm not willingly putting a mask on. Now, if the mm-hmm. if the employee of the store comes up to me and t- tells me that I'm not allowed to come in without a mask, and that you know the choice is mine to make whether to wear one or not, well, then I think to myself, do I need to get into the store? And is uh, is there another? sort of store around that wouldn't do such a thing or not or is it worth the fight like in this instance to just get what i need or whatever and i make my decision based off of that you know but it's mm-hmm. but it is not like well i'm just gonna you know this is me anyway so, so i speak for myself 
I'm not showing up to a store with a mask in hand, ready to use it. I mm-hmm. refuse to, um, you know, if you want me to wear a mask, then you're going to have to go out of your way to be uncomfortable and talk to me about, sir, you really need to wear a mask. And then you're going to have to provide me with said mask. Mm-hmm. And then, and only then will I consider maybe wearing your mask. So, you know, that's because it has nothing to do with instructing the employees of the store. Although, you know, my hope is that in time, enough people do that, that maybe they stop mandating it in an, in an active sense and just kind of, you know, at least ease off in the, in the requirement of it. Right. Um, but it also is important for me in my mind, because it is the constant barrage that you get from everywhere you go, that this is the new norm. And in order for me to not let my mind accept it as the new norm, to make sure that I maintain like freedom of my own thought process, it's important to fight because it, we are 10 months into this thing. Yeah. And so, so you, the best of us are worn down at this point. Unless you remain actively engaged in it, you, you can be easily swept up in that. So like I said, it's to different people's toleration and abilities and confidence in that that they resist, but they, that they do so, you know, and when somebody accosts me in a rude way, mm-hmm. well, I don't hesitate to be, to have a, a witty quip back to them mm-hmm. because, you know, they're clearly not of goodwill. They, they're clearly infringing upon my own rights. And, you know, I don't feel the need to, to, to like, afford them to be comfortable in being able to do so they need to i i you know I, again this is probably more me and i think probably more reaches out to, i mean anybody can do this but it probably is more comfortable for people that are like me that are you know you know right. men six foot one you know <laughs> not not going to be bowled over too easily type of thing um but you know like i don't have i don't have a problem you know with saying something back to them you know, to, to make them realize that, you know, I don't, you know, like whatever, you know, I was, yeah. I was in an airport and I went into one of the, the, so it was like a, a lounge area of this mm-hmm. airport and it was largely empty and I went to go get myself something. I was on a layover. So, you know, mask was off. I have one of those neck gaiters for when I have to fly so I could breathe through it as easily as possible. Um, and so it was around my neck. And I'm walking up to go to the bar to, to order some food so I can come back and sit down and eat my sandwich or whatever it was. And this guy walking in the opposite direction, he says to me, you know, he just goes, dude, where's your, where's your mask? Well, so I had it around my <laughs> neck. And he's just walking in the opposite direction. We're just going to pass by each other. And this, mm-hmm. this is not like I'm a crowd of people. So he says, dude, where's your mask? And I just look at him and I, as I'm walking by and I tug on the thing around my neck, I goes, Oh, don't worry. It's right here. <laughs> and without pulling it up or anything like that, he throws his hands in. You gotta be kidding me. And he continues walking on and I go up to, to get my drink and my, and my, and my food. Well, when I'm coming back to my chair, I realize, and I, and, and to, in fairness to this guy, I don't think he chose the spot because it was near where I was sitting. I think it was, I think where I was sitting was, was out of sight it was it was accidental that he chose this spot in the, in this huge 
giant lounge area. I mean, to be fair, I don't think he was trying to cause trouble by picking a spot near me, but he did. He picked a spot very much <laughs> near where I was sitting, where he was going to sit down. So I'm coming back and I can see the back of his head. I got my hand food in hand. I'm thinking, you gotta be kidding me. You, this, you know, I, I have to go by and talk to this guy again. Oh, whatever. So I'm walking mm-hmm. by and as I get by, walk by the front of him, he just goes, Again, same same thing, dude. I don't see what the big problem is. Just wear a wear the mask. It's not a big deal. And I turn to him and I just go, "You know what else is not a big deal? Minding your own business." <laughs> and then he had nothing else to say after that. Yeah. And and you know, it, it, it may sound sort of shocking for people to, and it's not something that I usually do in my everyday business of just telling people off, especially not as a priest. But in that situation where somebody is being overtly rude and mm-hmm. and being and and clearly pushing their own agenda upon me when there's no reason to do so, I don't feel any. I'm not going to say something, you know, that's scandalous or shocking or sinful back to them. But I don't also feel the need any longer at that point that I have to cowtail to their demands just because they make that demand. No, it's okay right. to stand up for yourself and to, to say, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. You know, you wear one if you want to. I'm not wearing one. That's your decision. This is my decision. This is my, yeah. my you know, and I'm, I'm done with playing that game, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think that's important, you know, that, you know, that creates that, 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 like I said, it may inspire somebody next to you. It might, be another cog in their wheel to for a learned behavior on their part. If they have three or four people that tell them off when they when they're told to the way they're going around trying to be the good Karen that they are and tell people not to wear a mask, I mean that they need to wear a mask. Then and they have enough people tell you know tell them where to go. They're going to probably eventually stop saying it, and you know. But it's but each one of those is an individual interaction, and so mm-hmm. you know we have to realize that each one of them takes a little bit of gumption and a little bit of. Of, of of fortitude and confidence and to just say no no i'm not i'm not doing that you know just because you yeah. said it doesn't you're just some guy it doesn't make any yeah. difference to me and um, he, it's not his law he has no authority to enforce that exactly and so you know it it kind of takes a little bit of that like i said it and to each person you know to their own ability and willingness to do it if you're you know uh, um you know, if if you're a very meek five foot one, you know, woman in the same situation, you might not be inclined to say something so bold and just kind of, you know, do something more quietly or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all fine and that's understandable. You know, of course, you know, I know a lot of like five foot tall ladies that are bold <laughs> as brass and wouldn't hesitate to do it either. So, you know, but it's, but I mean, it, people have different temperaments, people have different um you know willingness to do so and and but you know the idea is to to look at where your comfort level is and push it beyond what that comfort level is a little bit you know that mm-hmm. that uh, if if all of us kind of have the mindset of trying to do trying to positively positively do something right. then we're we're all working together to that if we just go up to where we're comfortable then then none of us are really pushing the agenda we're just, you know, well, if nobody's looking, I might not wear a mask. 
Mm-hmm. Well, well, that didn't yeah. affect anything, you know, <laughs> right, but, yeah. you know, as soon as somebody sees me, I'm going to put one on or, you know, um, whatever, like it's, that's, you know, that's not really doing what, what we want in that situation. So, so like I said, see where your comfort level is and push it a little bit beyond that. And you'll find that then, you know, more and more, it does good for your own brain, uh, your own mentality towards it to remind you like, no, I'm, I am standing up for a purpose and a cause here. And, right, and that's yeah. a good thing. And, you know, it, it may be small, my contribution, but it is still a contribution. So, Indeed, yeah. so I think, think that's important. Yeah. And uh, maybe one other thing we can talk about here, you know, we're, we're talking about practical things we can do. If they do start to tighten the grip more, you know, with the, the vaccine and whatnot, it, it might become harder to get into stores and whatnot. So, Someone, someone in the TRT mentioned, you know, this as a possibility, but it's an opportunity for us to become more self-sufficient, you know, get back to basics, maybe start a garden, get some livestock if you have property. One, someone mentioned, you know, you could get together with a group of people and buy a cow and have like sort of a co-op and get milk that way. You know, there's different things that we can look at and even take this opportunity just to become more self-sufficient in life. Yeah, I, I think that's a, it's a good point. You know, I mean, like... I think that those things, they need to be balanced out and they need to be uh, also understood that people's abilities to do things will be different as well. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. if if you have an agricultural background, then you're going to be able to do a lot of, you know, growing stuff. You know, if you live in the city and you have a, and you have a planter outside your window, you know, your sources for, for being able to grow <laughs> crops are going to be quite limited. Um, you know, and so the, there's that understanding that we, that, you know, but yeah, where we can, we want mm-hmm. to do so where we to be just sort of on the, the prudence level of sustainability. But I also think more in the, as well, or equally as much in the, in the promotion of, of, of good and healthy societal, um, operation, which is really, again, contrary to their, to their great reset. They want you to order everything from Amazon all the time. (laughs) And, um, but that's not what we want to do. You know, so when we have the opportunities to buy, even if we're not producing the vegetables ourselves, but we have the opportunity to buy vegetables from a local farmer, you Mm -hmm. know, to have a personal interaction with that person. I'm going to buy your tomatoes. I'm going to buy your cucumbers. I'm going to buy my beef from this this rancher here or we're going to go on a co-op and get a cow from 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 milk uh we're going to do these things yes it's it's good because you sort of take out the eye in the sky aspect to it where they can really monitor and um and restrict those things a little bit but on the flip side of it what you do is you also create and build up you know communal relations and then you know, that farmer who is also depending on sales for, for survivability. Now he knows you, you're buying that food from him. You're getting that cow from, you're getting that milk from him. You're buying Mm -hmm. your shoes from a, from a local salesman. You're buying, you're, you're doing things local and small. And, you know, maybe you have a skill to bring to a group of people that, Hey, you know, Joe, I know that you have, uh, you know, you have that uh, cow share um, mm-hmm. and you get, you know, four gallons of milk 
a month or, or something like that, and it's just really you and your wife, well, you know, do you have the means to have a little extra milk? You know, yeah, I'm not really willing to give it up just per se, but, you know, potentially, well, I, you know, you know, I'm an electrician and, you know, you have this problem with your lights. Well, hey, maybe part of it is, you know, I'll fix your lights and, you know, you pay me for the work, but part of the payment is in a little bit of milk or part of the payment is in some vegetables or, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> not that we're going to reduce society to a barter society all over again, uh, bartering and trading, but, but the aspect that to have that capability to do some of that mm -hmm. stuff that like, you know what, you know, I have an opportunity to, you know, maybe scratch the back of my neighbor, give him a little bit of money and, or a little bit of service in some sort of way. And I get something from him in return. It's far better to do better business on a local level at a small level than it is to do business in these big levels. And so, so I think that's an important aspect to it too, is kind of building up that mutual, you know, communal respect and, 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 you know, assistance and everything. Uh, also, you know, when talking about that sustainability, it's important to avoid extremes. You know, if the whole entire system is going to go down the toilet, mm -hmm. you're, you're not going to be able to stop it. You know, and so there's some of these like really kind of wacky extremist ideas. Um, you know, unfortunately, we heard about it from one of the trad that just did it. One of the trad churches down the street, you know, <laughs> quote, you know, like, quote, unquote, down the street, but in this general mm -hmm. area, I should say, one of the trad churches in this general area of, of Westchester, uh, you know, did this thing where it's, you know, like, well, let's have a big parish meeting and let's, what do we need to do? You know, like store up on ammo and, <laughs> you know, start growing gardens and store up on food. And it's, it's why 2k all over again. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's like, to what end, you know, you're doing this. It's like, you look at it, you say, this is all in reaction to what? So the fact that you all have watched way too much Fox News. You believe way too much in the importance of one man, i.e. Donald Trump. And you think that now that he's out of there, that, you know, like, well, like he was the great white hope or the mm -hmm. great orange hope, I guess, in the Donald <laughs> Trump sense. <laughs> and, and that, you know, and that he was the savior of mankind. And, and now that he you know, got the election stolen from him. We need to ready ourselves for this like violent upheaval of society. Well, you know, first off, you're putting way too much credit in this guy. Second mm -hmm. off, you aren't going to be able to, you know, to prevent those things. You know, I mean, yeah. let's, let, I mean, let's, let's just be, let's, how long do you think you could survive on food that you stored up in your house? Yeah, I mean, couple couple weeks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, I mean it's it's gonna it's, it's gonna go down the hill eventually. You know, you're gonna be out. You, you can't exactly. store like eighty years of food in your basement. Exactly. You know, then you know, how many people do you think you can shoot on your doorstep who are trying to come and get food because they figured out that you have food? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, one, two, eventually. People are going to get wise to the pile of bodies that you have on your doorstep. <laughs> and guess what? Government officials are going to come. Well, the government's not going to take my guns and they're not going to take my food and not going to take, 
how many, how long do you think you last standing up to the government, sending in troops? I mean, if we're in this Mad Max apocalypse scenario, how long do you think you hold out in your house, you know, arming your kids yeah. and your wife at the windows? That level of fear, that level of paranoia, that level mm -hmm. of over-preparedness is an absurdity. And it's something that we have to point out as an absurdity. We need to avoid extremes. We need to avoid irrationality. We need to avoid fear-mongering. Because those things do no good in the way of presenting any way of operating as a Christian. Because guess what? Also, I mean, first off, it's 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 lunacy. You you're not going to hold out that long. You know, if the if the society really goes down to the toilet to the point that you need to defend like the dried food you have in your basement by gunfire from your windows, mm -hmm. like sorry, dude, you're not going to last very long. And that's just going to be the case of everybody. You know, that's that's just what it is. But it you know. In the meantime, you know, if you have that mentality that we might get to a point where I have to defend my food store by the way of my wife and kids and me being in, lined up in the windows, shooting our neighbors in the street as they're sort of coming up the driveway. Mm -hmm. well, well, guess what? You've also missed out on. You've also missed out on the aspect of Christian charity. And that's equally evil. You know what I mean? That... This idea that that oh, I've got all this food and I'm only yeah you need to take care of you you need to take care of your family, but when you're at a, that level of thing you have food and you have neighbors that are going to starve to death you have to look at it and say like okay we got three weeks of food for ourselves you know and if we share with a couple of the neighbors who are going to die we have two weeks of food like is society going to change in that time to become better so we can sustain and live no. But, you know, if we all kind of chip in together and work, you know, at least maybe a couple of the neighbors, we can help out a little bit here, you know, you know, because that's Christian charity and, you know, that's the virtuous thing to do, you know, mm -hmm. that that's far better. Yeah, of course it is. You know, and so, um, you know, like the extremes that can develop from stuff like that, we really need to caution against, really need to avoid you know, these ideas of like, you know, like we're going to become self-sufficient and self-sustaining all of a sudden, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. that's not realistic. You know, I, I don't like, what am I going to do? I, like, could I plant a garden? Yeah. Do I know how to really cultivate a garden? No. You know, mm -hmm. so right. could I grow some tomatoes? Sure. Probably at some point I can grow a meager crop of tomatoes or meager crop of, you know, vegetables and things like that. But there's four priests living here at St. Gertrude's on a small property. Like, how long do I expect that to be able to hold out? Mm. And, you know, because vegetables are perishable, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, and so the neighbors are going to see them on the vine. How many neighbors am I going to shoot dead in the driveway to protect my carrots before, <laughs> you know, before, <laughs> like, what ratio of dead body to carrot consumption can i get out of this situation <laughs> you know i mean like it's really not really realistic to to create a long-term sustainability so mm -hmm. you know yeah 
some prudence, you know, storing up, some prudent saving, some prudent preparations, some prudent ideas of a garden and things like that, and you know, whatever to help see through some you know harder times or some meager situations and things like that. Absolutely prudent, you know, to do something where you're dealing with a with people on the local level to help out local businesses or local farmers or local you know, uh, merchants and things like that, rather than dealing with big conglomerates, much better scenario to do as well. To think that that we're going to float our entire existence on those things, though, um, also not realistic. So it's mm-hmm. um, so it's balancing those things out. You know, I, I do think that there's a practical and a prudent aspect to it, but we can't get crazy about it. And, um, you know, and because... At the end of the day, you know, there's only so much I can prevent and and, and foresee and and to do. And then, you know, at a certain point, you know, I have to trust in, you know, divine providence in these things. You know, if I'm if 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 they're gonna st- if, if you know, like Stalin starving out the Ukraine villages, there was no amount of preparation that was gonna save those Ukrainian villages. You know, mm-hmm. in fact, if you prepped, then they were gonna kill you first because you dared to hold on to some grain outside of the, the rations, you know? And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's, um, you know, we're, we can only do things that are, we do things that are prudent. We do, we don't do things that are hysterical and that's the important kind of differential to, to make in that. Yes, that's good advice. Um, well, we've been talking for a while here. I, I think that's probably a good place to wrap up this episode. Is there anything else that you would like to add in summary before we close out this episode, Father? No, I th- I think it's really just the understanding that that we really are in a time where we have to do things that are going to be hard and difficult, uh, not the easy choices to make to be able to to make any kind of difference and and to do anything good for our own liberty and and, and ability to to see these things and so just that understanding that that the things that we are going to have to do and continue to maintain doing are going to be things that are not necessarily in our comfort realm but neither is virtue virtue mm-hmm. is not something that is what we are inclined to do naturally Virtue is not something that we are, um, that is easy, but it is the hard thing because it's the right thing. And, um, and uh, I think the same with this, that this, that the good fight done prudently in, in these areas, um, you know, is akin to that, that putting up that fight to a, to a degree that it's not what we're inclined to do. It's not what we're naturally wanting to do but it's something that we know is the right thing to do. Um, and if we have that mentality, then, then like virtue, we'll find ourselves striving to practice it more and more uh, when the opportunities present themselves. Well, Father, thank you for your time, and we will talk to you again next time as we continue this series. May God bless you. All right, God bless you too. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch.
See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.